so uh, last Sunday, uh, we began our countdown to our Summer Serve project that we are working on. And for those of you that are like, what in the world is he talking about? What is Summer Serve? Um, on August 3, uh, just, just under two weeks from today, we're going to be headed into a neighborhood in downtown Twin Falls uh, with the goal of blessing that neighborhood. We're going to be painting houses and landscaping yards and roofing houses and laying sidewalks and all sorts of other things as well. And the reason we're going to do this is because it, through Summer Serve, we think we have an opportunity to show the love of Christ to folks in our valley that absolutely need to hear it. No strings attached. Now, um, for those of you that were here uh, last week, last Sunday was a great day for our church, I thought. Um, Christy Pickett came up here and shared a couple updates about our project. Um, she shared that we were maybe a little light on our $15,000 goal that we needed to pull this project off. Um, and you guys responded, and we have way more than exceeded that $15,000 number, meaning we're going to basically be able to do exactly what God is calling us to do in this neighborhood, which is awesome. That was cool, but something even more cool happened. Uh, last week, before first service started, there was like 80 of us that were signed up for summer serve. Um, Today, um, last I saw at least, maybe there's more now, uh, now there's 175 of us. That's pretty cool. Now just imagine when 175 plus of us descend on this little neighborhood in the city of Twin Falls and we start getting to work. Can you imagine um, how the good news of Jesus will be proclaimed through our hands and feed all of us together? It's going to be an amazing day. It's something that you won't want to miss out on. It really will be a moment. I think, I think it'll be a holy moment for us, if, if I'm honest. I think God will show up. It'll be really neat. So that was awesome. Now, uh, last week, um, we mentioned a verse that we've been using to really understand what we're doing with the summer serve. It's really been kind of our bedrock verse for it. Um, it's Micah 6.8. If you have a Bible, um, you're going to want to open it up a second to Micah 6.8. We'll go there. As you're there, um, just stay there. I'm going to read it here a second as well. This is Micah 6, 8. It says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Now in this verse, there are three imperatives or commands that God gives to us, that gives to his church, to his people. And, and in some sense, these three commands, these three imperatives, really, they, they make up... Uh, what it means to follow Jesus in many, many ways. Um, but the three commands are act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with, with your God. And so last week we took a look at that first one, act justly. And this week we wanted to take a look at that second one to really understand why we're doing the summer surf thing. And that is love mercy. And so um, just like last week, uh, we had two scripture readings today. We have two scripture readings as well. The first will be Micah 6.8 if you want to open there or stay open in your Bible. The second is Genesis 22 verses 1 through 14. You're going to want to turn there as well. Those are our scripture readings this morning. Um, our scripture reader this morning is Laura Vriesman. Laura, wherever you are, if you could head on up to read for us. In church, what we do here when we read scripture is we stand and we face the center of the room where scripture is read if you're able to. And the reason we do this week after week after week after week is because it is central that we understand just how much this book uh, is, should be central in our lives. It's the story of Jesus. Um, so Laura, when you're ready, take it away. Micah 6, 8. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. 
And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Genesis 22, verses 1 through 14. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he sent out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the place, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Thanks, Laura. You all may be seated. Um, so in our family, uh, the Austin household, we have a deep appreciation and love for each other. And, and the only um, way that we know how to show that to each other is through constant picking on each other in our household. I don't know if you have that. Um, in the Austin household, our kids... Um, have one form of picking on the adults, um, and that is called what, what they call the sneak attack. I don't know if you know what the sneak attack is. Um, often, an adult will be hanging out on the couch, maybe like laying on the couch, watching TV or reading a book or whatever it may be. And in this state, um, the person laying on the couch is quite distracted with whatever they may be doing. Maybe they're nice and relaxed as well. And our kids sniff this stuff out in our house really quickly. And so what they do is they notice this and then they get into prowl mode and then they slowly um, on all fours will sneak around the house, around furniture, under coffee tables, around trying to remain undetected. And then when they think the moment is right, what they do is they pounce and they jump on the adult, um, usually knees first, straight into the unflexed stomach muscles and provides a little bit of pain. There's, sometimes there's a war cry that comes with it. It's pretty great. Um, 
And then what happens is the one that was laying on the couch, um, this is going to surprise you, gets a little angry about this. And the child sees the anger in the adult's eyes. And the child begins to run away at a fast rate of speed. And usually as they run away, something like this is said, have mercy on me, as they run away because they know it's coming for them. Um, now, I think that the way we understand mercy um, it's very similar to what happens in my family. That's how we understand mercy. Mercy, the way that we tend to understand mercy, what we mean is that mercy is a decision to not pursue punishment or revenge on another, right? We are merciful if we don't do that. Um, in the Bible, actually, you see this form of mercy play out, like the story, the parable of the Good Samaritan that Jesus tells, right? There's this there's this Jewish man and he's walking on the road and he's headed home and then these robbers come and they attack him and they take all his stuff and they leave him on the side of the road wounded and injured where he can't take care of himself. And a Samaritan walks past and sees what's going on and everybody knows that the Jews and the Samaritans, they don't like each other. They have a long history of not liking each other. But this Samaritan decides to have mercy on this Jewish man and then helps him, right? That is mercy in a sense. Now, in our scripture reading from Micah, Micah 6.8, what we find is another understanding or another definition of mercy. In fact, in the Old Testament, mercy is used many, many times, but there are at least eight different words that get translated into mercy in our English Bibles. Eight different Hebrew words. Uh, Micah 6.8 says, He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Um, that walk, uh, that love mercy line, the word for mercy there is the Hebrew word chesed. Chesed. Now, um, there's something that the Hebrew language has that the English language doesn't, and I think we are lesser for it, but they have this noise that they make when they say things. So it's not chesed, it's chesed. And you know you're doing a good job if spit comes out of your mouth as you're doing it. You've got to try that at some point. It's really meaningful, I think. Now, a, kind of a simple translation of the word chesed is actually, it's not mercy. A simple translation would actually be enduring love, actually. So in Micah 6.8, if you were to kind of use like a, tran, a, like a literal translation of chesed in Micah 6.8, um, what you would translate it as is love enduring love instead of love mercy. Love enduring love. And the question is, what in the world does that mean? Chesed, enduring love, is the kind of love that has no conditions to it. It's where we love another person and there's basically nothing that the other person can do to change the fact or the state or the feeling of our love towards them. That the other person, they can't mess up that love. They can't do something to remove it. It's eternal. It's forever. It's unconditional love. Now, in our lives, we actually do not experience a lot of chesed love. Because often when we say, hey, um, I love you, there's actually strings attached to that, right? There are some things that may remove our love of that person. Um, if they do X, Y, and Z, well, that may change the state of our love for that person. Um, how many of you have a dog? How many of you have cats? 
You guys can leave. I'm t totally kidding, totally kidding. <laughs> but dogs are better, I, at least I think so. Um, we have a dog, his name is Hudson. And Hudson is a great dog, he's awesome. He is a miniature golden doodle, uh, meaning he, we actually call him our designer dog because we don't think he's a real dog, he's just pretending to play dog once in a while. Um, he's that kind of dog. But even though I love Hudson a lot, I love that dog to death, I really do. Uh, I don't have chesed love for that dog. Because if Hudson were to begin peeing on the floors regularly, or if Hudson were to begin eating the furniture, or if Hudson were to begin nipping at the kids or strangers or whatever it may be, it wouldn't take much and Hudson wouldn't live at our house anymore, right? There's a conditional nature to our love of Hudson at our house. But chesed love is different than that. Chesed love is that there is nothing the other person can do to change the reality of our love. That no amount of betrayal or abandonment or hurt or whatever it may be, nothing is going to change the state of that love. Now, if you open your Bible to Genesis 22, that's our second scripture reading. You want to turn there a second. In Genesis 22, we have the first time that chesed love is used in the Bible. And I think the story of Genesis 22 really helps to paint a picture of what biblical chesed love actually looks like. Um, Genesis 22 is a story about Abraham. And Abraham is married to Sarah. And Abraham and Sarah wanted to have kids, but it just wouldn't happen. The Bible actually says that Abraham remains childless in his 90s and they still wanted kids. Can you imagine that, by the way? Just saying, that's crazy. Um, and it was a really big deal that Abraham had a kid. Because in the ancient world, if you couldn't have a firstborn son, um, that was like a sign of shame on your family. The firstborn son was the one that would inherit the family, in a sense. They would take care of the next generation of the family. And if you couldn't do that, that was looked down upon in that culture. But there was another reason for Abraham. You see, one time years ago, God came to Abraham and said, Hey, Abraham, you are going to be the father of many, many nations. Yet, Abraham remained childless. And then... One day, after many, many years, Abraham's wife, Sarah, gets pregnant. And they have the baby. And the baby is a boy. And it's a really big deal because now Abraham could follow what God had told him. And then Abraham could also pass on his legacy to the next generation. Fixes two big problems. They had a firstborn son. Now think about this for a minute. With all of the struggle... And the length of time that it took Abraham to have a son, how do you think Abraham felt about his son? Like how much do you think Abraham cared for his son? How protective do you think Abraham was for his son? How grateful do you think Abraham was for his son? Abraham, had, he must have had an intense feeling for his boy, his hard long-waited boy. Some of us actually understand this. Um, some of us, we, we had this plan for our lives, right? We were going to do this thing and maybe go to college, then we we're going to get married, then we we're going to have kids, and then da-da-da-da-da. And we got to the kids part, and it just didn't happen. Like, it just has been really hard. We can't have kids. It just isn't happening. And some of us, it, it's never happened, right? We've tried, and it didn't work 
And then some of us, it was a really long journey to have a kid, right? A really long journey. And finally, you had one. Actually, there's probably some of us in this room right now that are in the middle of that struggle right now. You're trying to get pregnant, and it's just not working. If you're in any of those boats this morning, you probably understand how Abraham felt about his son Isaac, don't you? Oh, Abraham would have cared for his son like no other. Then we get to Genesis 22, and we get this weird moment in our scripture reading where God decides to test Abraham. And this is what God says to Abraham. He says, take your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. And then God says, oh, by the way, when you get there, I want you to sacrifice your son to me. It's in that verse, in that moment, that the first chesed love is used in Scripture. God says, take your son, your only son whom you love, whom you chesed love. Abraham, take your son whom you have this enduring love for, this unconditional love for, this love that nearly doesn't have a vocabulary that can describe this love. You see, chesed love in the Bible looks like a dad's love for his hard-fought-for son. In some sense, that's a picture of chesed love. And if you take that picture and then you bring it over to Micah 6, 8, our first passage, what God is commanding us to do here when he says, love mercy, is he's saying, love other people like a dad loves his hard-fought-for son. That's how we're supposed to love people. That's an intense command, if you think about it. That's a lot of work. That's difficult. There's actually more here in Genesis 22. That's, that's a partial picture of chesed love in the story, but you actually get a fuller picture as you go through the story. You see, in Genesis 22, as you keep reading, God comes to Abraham and says, take your boy whom you chesed love, you unconditionally love, and I want you to take him to the land of Moriah. And I want you to take him to the top of a mountain when you get there. And I want you to build an altar when you get there. And then I want you to sacrifice your son whom you so deeply love atop that mountain. And so Abraham grabs his son, who, by the way, is not probably a toddler at this age. He's probably like 16 years old. He's probably nearly an adult at this time. No questions asked of God, Abraham goes. Now, think about this for a minute. Step inside the life of Abraham in this moment and then start taking the journey to Moriah with him and his son. What do you think is going on in Abraham's head as he's walking to Moriah with his son in tow, ready to get there to sacrifice him? What do you think he's feeling in this moment? Can you imagine the emotional weight of knowing, hey, God said I need to go sacrifice this boy who I love so much and I have to do it, and what, is, what does that feel like? It's not just that. See, Abraham and Isaac, his son, they journeyed together. For three days they journeyed together. They meandered their way there. Can you imagine the questions that Isaac had of his dad on the journey? Like, Dad, um, why are we going to Moriah? We've never been there before. Dad, 
why are we climbing this mountain? And imagine like Abraham's trying to answer some of these questions. Dad, um, why are you building an altar here? Like what, what are you doing, Dad? Why are we doing this? Dad, why are, you, why are you binding my hands? Why did you just do that, Dad? What in the world is going on here, right? All the questions. And Abraham has to try to answer all these questions of his son. And so Abraham gets to the top of the mountain. He ties his son's hands. And then he lays his son on, on an altar, right? The, the one thing Abraham longed for for 90 years is on an altar. And God said, you have to sacrifice. You have to kill him now. How do you think Abraham's feeling as, as he's on top of the mountain? His son is bound and laying on an altar. I imagine Abraham's weeping, Right? And then think of Isaac, who's probably picked up what's about to happen here now, right? Isaac is stuck on this altar, bound up. He knows what's going to happen. I'm sure Isaac's crying in this moment. I'm sure Isaac's begging his dad, like, Dad, you don't have to do this. There is no way your God said this, Dad. You don't need to do this. Can you imagine that moment? But Abraham is determined. This is what God said. This is what I have to do. So I'm going to be faithful to my God. I will do this. The son that I so love, I love him. I still will do this for my God. And imagine the moment there, Isaac's on the altar, Abraham's standing over him. He takes the knife from his belt, right? And he stands over his son. He's ready to bring the knife down on him, right? He's ready to sacrifice his son. It's gotta be a really intense moment for Abraham. Am I making the right decision? Did I hear God correctly? All the tears, all the feelings, all that stuff in that one singular moment. And then Abraham goes to bring the knife down and he brings it down and then there's suddenly a loud voice. And God yells, Abraham. Abraham, do not lay a hand on the boy. Don't do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld your son from me. It, it's an intense moment, isn't it? And you see, it's, it's when we pay close attention to this moment that we really zero in on what chesed love looks like. And maybe you're thinking, oh yeah, chesed love. God loves Abraham so much that, that he said, you don't have to do this anymore, right? Like that was the chesed love here. That, that, that's great. Or, or maybe Abraham just loved God so much. Maybe Abraham had chesed love for his God. Maybe that's what it is. It's actually bigger than that in this story. It's way bigger than that. See, thousands of years later, on a chilly night in the city of Bethlehem, there's a woman. She's giving birth to her firstborn child. She cries through the delivery. And on that night, the child was born. And that child was a long planned pregnancy. Like the father had been waiting for that one for a really long time long time. This child didn't have an earthly dad. This child had a heavenly dad. And that dad whom he called father, that dad loved the son. Oh man, he loved the son. And the father watched his son grow. And the father was so pleased with his son. His, 
His son grew up in the Jewish faith and he was perfect. He did all things right. Everything that the father wanted the son to be, the son was. There was nothing that the son could have done that would have changed the love of the father. And there's this moment in scripture where, where the son goes and he gets baptized and he comes out of the water and the father is so pleased with the son at this moment that the father has to speak all the way from heaven. Listen to this. This is from Matthew 3. It says, as soon as the son was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I chesed love. With him, I am well pleased. And then years pass and then the son is arrested. And then the son is put on a sham trial and the son is beaten, and the son is forced to walk a bloody cross up a mountain to a mountaintop, and the son has nails put in his hands and in his feet, and the son hangs on a cross dying, and the father looks upon the cross, and the father does nothing as his son is sacrificed. Do you know why that happened? It's because the Father wanted you and I to experience what chesed love really feels like. The Father would give up his son who he chesed loved to show you just how much you matter to God. That's why. You see, God would never make Abraham sacrifice his son atop a mountain. And see, God would never make us do something like that. Instead, God would be the one who sacrificed his own son for us. You see, the Bible really understands mercy as a kind of love that would sacrifice anything for the other, anything at all. Real mercy is God sacrificing what God loved most, his son, to prove God's love for you and me. This is the kind of love that God has for you. Real mercy always involves sacrifice. And God sacrificed all of it for you. Folks, there's a really big world out there with billions of people in it. And all of those people, a very small fraction, have ever experienced the chesed love of God. And there's a world out there with billions of people in it that need to hear and understand and feel and experience the chesed love of God. You see, that is our role, church. Loving mercy is sacrificing something we care about so another can experience chesed love, God's mercy, so somebody can experience what God did at the cross for them. And they're not going to experience it unless they experience it through us, the church. See, in two weeks, when we go downtown and we do this thing called Summer Serve, the point of that, 
It's not to make us feel good about ourselves. It's not to feel like we accomplished something. It's not anything about that. What it's about is loving mercy. It's about going into our valley and saying, hey, there is a merciful God in this world and let me just give you a little taste of that mercy today. So we're gonna step into a neighborhood and suffer a little bit for them. We're gonna give up a Saturday doing that. We might sweat a little, suffer a little that way. We might be tired at the end. Some of us have suffered financially by giving to this thing. And it's so our neighbors in the Magic Valley can get a taste of God's chesed love. And folks, they need it. And it's our job. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for the unconditional nature of your love for us, God. God, you love us so much that you'd give up your son for us, God. That's how much you love us. God, help us to let that sink in this morning. God, maybe we're in a place where we don't feel very lovable. Maybe we don't feel valuable, whatever it may be, God. Um, Help us get it that despite all the ways we feel about ourselves, there's a bigger reality out there, God, and it's you loving us at any cost. And God, help us to go out into our magic valley and share that love with everyone that needs to hear it, and there's a lot out there that do, God. And God, if it means sometimes swinging a hammer or painting, God, let us do that, and let your love be shown through that. Let us show the world your mercy through our hands and feet. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me leave you with this blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord raise his countenance upon you and give you peace, church. Amen.